Let us pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 I invite you to be seated. Viktor Frankl, maybe you've heard of him, was a survivor of the Holocaust. And he made it through alive, which was a rare thing. And, and he, he experienced some profound things during that time in his life and, and wrote about it later in a famous book called Man's Search for Meaning. Maybe you've heard of Viktor Frankl, maybe you've heard of that book. And he thinks back to the camps and he writes this about people's experience in the camps. I'm going to read this. It's not super long, so, so bear with me. He wrote... The prisoner who had lost his faith in the future, his future, was doomed. With his loss of belief in the future, he also lost his spiritual hold. He let himself decline and become subject to mental and physical decay. The one who lost faith in the future was the one who didn't make it. But those who had a hope of making it held on to their faith in the future. They had hope. Lose hope, you die. Keep hope, you make it. Well, today we're going to talk about hope in that truth that Frankel wrote about the death camps is a truth about the Christian life. We live by hope. In fact, human beings live by hope. We always look to the future constantly We're hardwired that way. And so today we're going to talk about our hope as Christians. We're wrapping up our five-part series called Redemption Applied. We looked at union. We're baptized into Christ. So the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. And everything that Christ is and does, he, he gives to us because we're in Christ. Second, we looked at justification. The idea that we're declared righteous in Jesus. And then we looked at adoption. That our relationship with God is such that we are sons and daughters to share the same status before the Father as Jesus. And then last week we turned a corner and looked at sanctification. The process of being transformed in Christ. The process of being made like Jesus in our character. That's going on right now. Today we're going to look to the future and talk about glorification. This is the goal of our salvation. To be glorified. So what is it? What is glorification? Well, glorification is what happens when the resurrection of the dead, the future resurrection of all the dead happens. And those who are in Christ come into the kingdom. And those who are in Christ are completely transformed, spirit, soul, and body. So that... They're not just declared righteous. They are in the fullness of their being perfectly righteous. They're not just called son and daughter, but in the fullness of their being sons and daughters of God. Not just pursuing Christ-like character, but completely transformed into Christ-like character. And then, in the same way that Jesus lived in glory after his resurrection as we witness in the Gospels, just like Jesus 
a new body forever. That's our hope as Christians. That's what we're called to live for. That's our hope. That's our future. And that's ultimately what we believe in. Now, sometimes Christians will say, I believe in life after death. That's actually not quite right. The the scholar N.T. Wright puts it this way. He says, we don't really believe in life after death. We believe in life after life after death. Here's what he means. So I think when I die, you know, maybe Jesus will come back in my lifetime. And the scriptures say those who happen to be alive get a bypass death. But I'm just not planning on that. I'm planning that this life will end. I believe that part of me that's not physical will somehow go to be with the Lord. Scripture says that, I think. I think it's pretty clear. All Christian traditions believe it. And it's going to be good. In fact, Paul said in Philippians, to live as Christ, to die, is gain. So whatever it is, it's better than now. So it's good. But it's not the best. It's not the ultimate. You were created to just be spiritual. You were created to be physical. You can't be fully human without being physical. Jesus, right now, is still physical. He's still fully God and fully man, but glorified and in the presence of God. That's what we confess and believe when we say he rose from the dead. So the goal of our salvation is one day when Jesus returns, those who are in Christ, when they rise, will be made like Jesus in his glory. And the truth is, we don't know much more than just saying that. It's way beyond what we can imagine or ask. But whatever it is, it's going to be good. Real good. Super good. Excellently good. And I want to be there. And this life sometimes is good. But that's going to be a bazillion times better. That's our hope. That's what we're living for. So what is that, that, that time when the glorification happens? What is it that's going to happen? What is the content of our hope? Well, I want to talk about three things. I could talk about a hundred things. We only talk about three things that I think are essential. And it's this. Our hope in Jesus, our hope of the future, it's physical, it's forever, and it's love. It's physical, it's forever, and it's love. So, you know, to be human is to be physical. Any spirituality that says that's not true is just denying what it means to be a human being. You can't, like, pull something out of you and not be you. I know you by looking at your physical face. I know you by your lips moving and me hearing your words. I know you by what you do with your body. We are embodied persons. We're more than a body, the scriptures say. And I think by intuition we know that's true through experience. But we are physical. And so God's ultimate redemption for us is that we'd be physical beings. And so whenever the new heaven and the new earth that the Bible talks about, whatever this, this glory of the sons and daughters of God that we read about in Romans 8 happens, it will be physical in a new heaven and a new earth. So what does that look like? With a couple of hints from Jesus, you know, there's a story of him on a seashore and he cooks breakfast and he has breakfast with the disciples. Heck, maybe we get to eat forever and never gain weight. Wouldn't that be awesome? Or just eat as much sugar as you want and it won't mess with you at all. I don't know. But, but we will live lives of purpose and meaning with God at the center in his creation. And remember when we looked back two weeks ago at adoption, we said we are co-heirs with Jesus. 
And what is it Jesus has inherited? Everything. So somehow the scriptures tell us that we will reign with Jesus over all creation forever. Work is part of being a physical being. And though there's a curse on it that makes it futile, according to Genesis 3, it's still created by God and it's still good. And so there'll be meaningful work, meaningful purpose for eternity. Okay, that's the first thing. It's, it's physical. You're not going to float around in a cloud playing a harp being bored forever. That sounds completely boring to me. Better than the alternative, but I want something even better than that. And that's what the scriptures promise. So that's number one. Number two, it's not just physical, it's forever. Forever. I mean, forever. Forever. That's great news. You know? We don't want our lives to end. It's so odd, isn't it, how it's completely statistically normal. I, have, I promise you, you and I, we have a 100% chance of dying. It's a one-to-one surety. It's going to happen. And it's so statistically normal. And we try to tell ourselves it's just a natural part of life. But we just, we just intuitively just go, no, no, why? No, it's meant to go on. It's because God, it says in Ecclesiastes, has planted eternity in our hearts because he's created us to live in union with him. And through our union with him, we have eternal life. We're not intrinsically immortal. It's that as we stay in union with him, we have eternal life. We have his life. And we share in that life forever. Forever. You know, there's a story I've told before, and I love to tell it in sermons I told it different Easter's, so if you've heard it before, I apologize. But I remember, I remember years ago, um, my son Dylan and I went down to the mountains of North Carolina where my dad grew up. And around the corner from the old home place, there's a cemetery. And in the corner is buried one of my uncles. Now, my dad, I was born very late in my dad's life, and he was 48 when I was born. He was born in 1916. That's how old my dad was. He'd be over 100 now if he was alive. Well, this was a brother of his that was like, 20 years older than him or 18 years older than him. And he died in 1916. And what happened is, this is before antibiotics, he got bit by a horse. And he got infected. And two days later, he was dead. And so the family had to grieve and take care of that and bury him. And he's buried in this cemetery that's near where they grew up. But the, the thing is, there's no other Matthews buried there. He's just kind of this corner by himself. And I remember standing there looking at that grave and thinking... In one sense, this feels so lonely. But then I thought, man, if what I believe is true, is really true, then there's going to come a moment. As real as this wood in this pulpit, there's going to come a moment when Uncle Porter's grave just busts open and he just stands up and he rises to the presence of Jesus. That's physical. That's forever. And that's good news. And that's grace. That's our hope. That's what we're living for. There's a third thing. It's physical, it's forever, and it's love. You see, all five of these things we've talked about, at the heart of them, it's always love. First is God's love toward us, then God working and drawing us to love him, and then out of that overflow, loving others. And the promise of the future kingdom 
is often captured in, in the Hebrew word shalom, which we translate peace, but it means way more than that. It means everything is just right. Everything is the way it should be. Everything is the way we know it ought to be. And what that is, is that we live in the light and presence of God's perfect love with no barrier. See, now we see through class directly. We, by faith, we believe he loves us, but we don't always feel it. We don't experience it. We can go years and sort of walking in darkness. And yet by faith, we believe it and walk in it, right? It won't be like that then. It'll be as palpable as, as shoving your hands in a puddle of water, the love of God in the kingdom. And that will so fill you with his love that it'll overflow into love back to him. And we'll just be loving God and just contemplating. I don't know how this will happen. Don't ask me how Jesus knows. But we'll be contemplating his beauty, his glory, his majesty. As it says in the psalm we read, At your, in your presence there is fullness of joy. Just to be in God's presence with no barriers. And that will mean we'll love one another perfectly. This creation will be good. It will be just. It will be righteous. Those are all expressions of love. And God will do that. That's the hope of our salvation. That's the completion of the salvation story. That's the promise. And everything we're doing now, believing that we're justified, believing that we're adopted, cooperating with the Holy Spirit to be transformed, is all about getting ready for that. It's all about getting ready for that. So what's the response to that? Well, one thing, I think, is this. If that's true, and that's our hope, then the challenge from Jesus is to keep the faith. The challenge from Jesus is to keep the faith. To not give up. To not lose heart. To not lose courage. To not lose faith. I don't think it's an accident that in today's epistle, Paul begins this, this passage about the glory of the future that says, I want you to know that the suffering you experience now will be like nothing compared to the glory to come. Why would he say that? Because we all need encouragement in the face of this life, in the face of the things we're presented with, in the face of the things that could tempt us to give up and not keep the faith, not endure in the faith to the end. So that when the day comes to stand before Jesus, he'll say, well done. You fought the good fight. You kept the faith. Now receive the crown of glory. But there's a secret to keeping the faith. And it's this. There's one who's already kept it. Jesus. He kept the faith perfectly. He never even stumbled and had to get back up. He kept it perfectly to the very end. On the cross, he offered himself in fullness to the Father. And I'm sure he had all kinds of emotions and desires to do something to get off that cross. And yet he chose not to. He kept the faith. He kept his commitment to the Father till the very moment he gave up his spirit. And what that means is this for us. Remember union? Go all the way back to union. To the Holy Spirit... You're in union with Jesus. 
All that he's done, all that he has is yours. That means his endurance is available to you. That means his keeping of the faith is in you. He's kept it for you so you can be forgiven and justified and adopted. But he'll keep it in you. If you lean on him, you trust him, you look to him, then you can keep the faith, you can endure to the end, and you can step into your hope. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand.